0: Last week I preached on God doing a new thing, it came from Isaiah, um, I need my Bible today, so it came from Isaiah um, 43, and uh, I wanted to continue on with that theme of God doing something new, and we're going to go to the Gospels this week, uh, in particular a set of um, stories or, or like situations that happen um, exactly in this order in all three of the Synoptic. Gospels, like the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, you know, they, they kind of have a similarity. And, and if you sometimes, when you read, you know, Matthew and then you read Mark, you, you kind of feel like, you know, like Matthew copied Luke and, you know, but there is that. They, they kind of what, kind of played off each other as, as these gospels were being written. And in all three of the, of the synoptic gospel, um, these stories, this, this little section of stories are all exactly in this order. OK, uh, you know, before this little section, uh, each gospel record different things after this little section that all the gospels differ, record different things. But it, within this little order, um, all three gospels, uh it, it's like this order of events that happen. So, you know, we kind of when we see something like this, we have to realize that this section is meant to kind of be read uh, together. And so what happens is Jesus heals a paralytic man. And then the the the, the scribes or the religious elites they take notice of Jesus kind of for the first time. But like, who is this guy? Right? Because you know they haven't really you know he's been like you know ministering to healing people and they haven't really had a chance to kind of see who Jesus was. And the the scribes, the religious, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they kind of take notice of Jesus for the first time. And then he calls Matthew, also known as Levi in the other Gospels. He's a tax collector. Calls Matthew to follow him, and then you know Matthew throws on this feast and he eats. Jesus eats with a bunch of sinners, right? And then, uh, and then within this this context, a question about fasting is made, um, and Jesus answers that it's not time to fast. And then Jesus tells him this parable or this story about patching old garments uh, with new cloth and and new wine uh, in old wineskins. and 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 so this this is the kind of the. The the breakdown of of in all three of the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of how these stories kind of happen in this order. And and when we read the Bible, we have to read it in context, right? We can't just you know pick and choose. And so when we read this, we realize that within the context of this little set of stories, that it probably happened in this order. And and the 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 the, the, um, the writers of the Gospels. Probably wrote it in this way because it was meant to be read kind of in this order, and so you know we have to keep that in mind as we um, read Matthew nine. We're gonna we're gonna read the Matthew's account of of what happens. Um, and so Matthew nine, I think I have it here. Yes, Matthew nine. Uh, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a that, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to them, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. We're we'll going to stop there for a second. So there's this paralytic man that's brought to Jesus. In um in Luke and in Mark, you know, they, they bring him down from the room. You know, when you were little, you hear the story of the man, they, they his friends, you know. I remember in VBS and them telling the story that they, they bring him down from the roof. Um, but you know, there's a paralytic man, uh, and then um and, and Jesus heals him, right? And by forgiving his sins, right? Now, Jesus can do this because who, we know that he is, who, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He is God. So he can actually forgive sin. We know that, you know, on this side of the cross, it's, it's easy for us to understand. Uh, and in doing this, Jesus is pointing to the fact that not only do we need physical healing, right? We need physical healing, but we also need spiritual healing, right? We need to be forgiven. We need to be made right with God. Now you have to understand that the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious elites believe that they were all good with God, right? When when these the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when they saw themselves, they just thought that they were right with God, right? They, they've been doing everything right, you know. They've been following the the religious commandments, they adhered it to it, all the rituals and the and the sacraments and and all of the the clean living, you know. They don't touch anything that's unclean and. And they make sure that you know, like they know the Torah and, and they study the Torah and they and, and they think in their hearts, right? You know, the, these religious, um, these, you know, these, these these powerhouse, right? The Pharisees, right? Like one of the the, the the most you know prestigious groups of religious people. They thought that they had it all together. They thought that you know what they were, they were right with God. Where there's nothing, you know, like especially me, right? I'm a Pharisee. Don't you know that I'm right with God? You have to understand that the religious, you know, elites, they created a society where if you weren't one of them, it was almost impossible for regular people to come anywhere near the standard. That's why Paul, right, he was a Pharisee. He, he says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was studying under this, this like, you know, Harvard of Pharisees, Gamaliel, you know, he's like one of the most like prestigious people, rabbis, like you could study under. That's why Paul, right, in his theology, he's so adamant about, you know, like faith, uh, Salvation through faith alone, right? Because he he's he's had that Pharisaical mind where, like, you know, he 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 created like they created this society where if you're just a regular person, it was almost impossible for them to do anything to come be right with God. And so Paul, you know, knowing this about their theology, is very adamant. You know, it's one of the 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 pillars of his theology is that you know it's, it's salvation through faith alone, right? And for some, like this paralytic man, this guy that has been born, like, like paralyzed, his condition has put him into a category of sinners. Back then, you know, they didn't call people sinners because they lied or they did something wrong, right? They called people sinners because it was a category of people that were considered sinners, right? It was like, uh, you know, uh, people like the prostitutes and tax collectors. Ta- Jewish, Jewish people hated tax collectors, um, the physically handicapped, physically lame people or people that worked with like you know touching dead animals or touching dead people. these were people who were considered like ceremonially unclean um, and they were under the category of what was known as sinners and This paralytic man is what was one of them right in John nine jesus disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents. That he was born blind, right? And so even the the, the 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 disciples of Jesus, when they saw like a like a lame person, a, a handicapped person, they thought that it was because of their sin that they had done either them or somebody in their family had done something sinful that caused this guy to be this way. And there was no way for him for this paralytic man to be forgiven according to the Pharisees and the religious you know elites. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and tells this man, "Your sins are forgiven." Right now, you have to understand when the G- Pharisees and the scribes heard Jesus say this, they were shocked, but they were also outraged. Right? Like, like they were shocked. Like, oh, you know, how how can this guy say that he can forgive sins? But they're were, they're were actually outraged. Right? It's just like you can you, you know when you just like when when certain people hear certain things and you just get nah, you know, like I have certain things about like you know sports teams and I just get nah, you know, it's like yeah, they just got they just got super angry. Um, because this went against all of their religious beliefs. Right? Not only did Jesus claim to be God, but in doing this, he undermined everything that the Pharisees were doing to be right with God. Right? All of their, like all of their following the commandments, all of their, you know, living right, all of their holy living, you know. Like like they never ate bacon. you know how good bacon is, like I've never tasted bacon, right? like I you know like i'm I'm good, I'm clean, and Jesus was undermining all of their religiousness, right you know and, and and so when the scribes you know say like this man is blaspheming, it has less to do or it has really nothing to do with their their love for God, right? like they love God so much that this 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 man is blaspheming God. But their own religious, like, like, they were just angry because he was undermining their religious sac, like, like sacrifices. All of the things that they've been doing and abstaining from and the sacrifices that they've made, right, to be righteous. Jesus just throws it out the window with these simple words. Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And when the man is healed, it says that the crowd, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Um, they're like, this is amazing, right? This man is amazing. But for the for the for the Pharisees and for the Sadducees and all of the religious scribes and the and the leaders, they were angry, because Jesus says, knowing their thoughts, why do you think evil in your heart? And and, and this is kind of the beginning of the relationship between Jesus and the re, the religious, you know, the, the 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 leaders of of Israel at the time. And then after. This Jesus calls Matthew. You know, in other books they call him Levi. He's a tax collector, and um, it says, uh, verse verse nine through ten. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me." And he arose and followed him. Right. And and I've taught on this before. Tax collectors were one of the most hated people in Jewish culture at the time. Right. They they just were despised. Not only were they sinners, but they were just like hated sinners, right, categorically. And, and we see not only does Jesus call Matthew to be a disciple, but he goes to his house and dines with other tax collectors and sinners. Right? This was like also unheard of. Rabbis or teachers right, would, would never do anything like this. Right? The average rabbi would never dine with a sinner, would never dine with a, a tax collector. And so in verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, when Jesus tells him this, he's not telling the Pharisees that they are righteous and that they're all good, right? He's like, oh, I didn't come for you guys. I came for the sinners. He's not saying that, you know, if you guys have it all together. You guys are, you, know, you guys a-okay. A- a- you got, you get a A-plus a in my book. And then now I'm going to focus on the sinners. What, what he's telling them this new paradigm of the kingdom of God. It's the new covenant. And in the new covenant, is not the people that think that they're the, that they are righteous that matters. It's the ones that think that, you know, like the people that think that they have the law all figured out. But in the kingdom of God, what matters are the people that realizes that they are sinners, people that understand that they are wretched, that they can't live up to God's righteousness, and they realize that they need a savior. He tells them, I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for the sinners. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Meaning, I'm all about mercy. And I don't care about the sacrifices that y'all are doing. You know, Thinking that you can save yourself. Jesus here is trying to communicate to the scribes and to the Pharisees the central theme of the new covenant. And it's not, it's not about the law, but it's about Him, right? The central theme of the new covenant is about Him, not about sacrifices and doing all of the right things and the righteous things. But Jesus is all about people coming to Him and receiving mercy. He just demonstrated it to the physician, the paralytic man, right? And and they called him a blasphemer. And he tells them, "Go and learn what this means. Go figure this out. Go in and figure out what I'm telling you." He says, "I desire mercy and not sacrifice." Jesus is going to scriptures Hosea six six for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus is telling them, "Our God is a merciful God. He's all it's about grace. It's about He desires not everyone desires everyone to come to Him and receive mercy." And you guys, be merciful with one another. You know, He's not about the sacrifices that you bring Him. He's not about making a system to judge and condemn other people. He's about mercy. Sure. He, he wants people to acknowledge God, acknowledge Him, and say, like, we need God. We need Jesus. We need mercy. We can't do this law thing on our own. I can't adhere to this law. I need somebody to save me. And Jesus tells them this, He's telling them that this is the way of this new covenant that He's about to bring. He's like, He's bringing them into His, He's trying to bring Him into the, into, you know, what He's doing, and it goes right over their heads. They can't even imagine this because their whole understanding of their worth, their value system, their dignity, their self-esteem, their identity, their righteousness are all based on following the law and doing everything right, offering the right sacrifices. Offering the the the, you know like make sure that they're not dirtying themselves. Make sure that they clean and wash themselves properly. Make sure that they don't touch things that are dirty. Make sure that they don't eat things that are dirty, right? And 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 they're like, oh, I've done all of that, and now I'm all good, right? But Jesus is saying that's not it. Like, look at me, right? I'm the one, right? I'm the one. Look at me, right? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now we can see this. And the, the question that is raised as they're still dining, it says that the disciples of John approached them in Luke. Uh, it actually sounds like it's the questions that the, the scribes and the Pharisees make. In Mark, it says that the people came and asked them, but it's a question about fasting. Right? And it says, it says, why do we, Is talking about the disciples of John, and the Pharisees fast, but you, your disciples do not fast. I believe this question came from a mixture of like the scribes and the Pharisees and also the the disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist earlier he, he was you know making a way for the coming of the Messiah, he acknowledges Jesus and he had a lot of followers, right? A lot of the followers, a lot of the, the people that are like the, the devout, you know, the people that really love God at the time were followers of John the Baptist. And and you know, so it's not just the, the John people, the, the disciples of John the Baptist that are asking this question, but it's also the Pharisees and the scribes. They all because they all fasted twice a week. Right? All of the, the 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 disciples of John the Baptist and also the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they all fasted twice. It's just something that they did. It was just a part of their religiousness. And it, the, the, the 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 disciples of John probably had better motives in fasting. You know, they're anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And to them, Jesus just wasn't, didn't fit that mold. But the Pharisees just did, they just fasted out of tradition. And it actually became a symbol and a sign of their holiness and righteousness. They would fast and make themselves look all sickly. So others would condemn them like, oh, you fast so well. Like, you know, like you're such a good faster. You look so holy, right? But Jesus tells us to do the opposite. He's like, dude, when you fast, put some oil on your face so you don't look so, so like, you know, like, so nasty, right? And put some oil in your hair, make yourself presentable, right? And, and fast in secret because it's actually between you and God. And then, and then so, you know. They bring up this questions, like we're all disciples here, right? We're disciples of John the Baptist. The Pharisees are, you know, they're the disciples of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes. We're all pulling our weight. We're all fasting twice a week. We're all doing what we're supposed to. We're all hungry, man. But how come your disciples and, and, and you guys are not fasting? And then Jesus tells them this. He says, can the wedding guest, can the wedding guest Mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is telling them, I don't think you guys even know why you guys are fasting. He points everything back to himself. It's not the time for fasting because I'm with you all. I'm the bridegroom, and I'm with you now. It's it's, it's not a time to fast and mourn. There's going to be a time for that when I'm taken away and then they will fast, but now it's time to eat, enjoy each other's company, and to be in my presence. Because when I'm gone, and they're going to fast, and he's pointing it all back to himself. He's pointing to the point of them fasting. And when they fast, they will find themselves in his presence, in my presence. Jesus gives them a lesson on fasting. The point of fasting for us should always be Jesus. A lot of the times we fast, you know, to ask God to answer a certain prayer request or you know, for something when Mina and I were getting married, Mina's mom hated me and so we fasted, you know, like I got so skinny, I got super skinny, Mina got super skinny, right? And we're like, Oh, help her to like it. And now she loves me. Not she doesn't love me, but she likes me. She can she can stand me, right? But like we fast, and it's all good. We are supposed to fast for that stuff, but but the the point of fasting, right, is is like the, the ultimate point of fasting should be for us to be in the presence of God, to be in the presence of Jesus, right? Through prayer and through the word and we seek Him. We deny ourselves food, we get hungry so that we can be hungry for God, so we can be hungry for God's presence. And that's not the point. We're just we're just dieting, we're just not eating, right? And these Pharisees just fasted for the sake of fasting. They were just in, sense, in essence, they were just dieting, right? And so, throughout all of this interactions with the Pharisees and with the, the religious elite, what Jesus is trying to do is break the old covenant mindset. They're like, "How dare he say that he can forgive sin? How dare he sit and eat with sinners? How dare they not fast?" When all of us, know we're all fasting, they should be looking at us. You know they should be looking at us and not him. And Jesus is trying to break the old covenant mindset. I can follow these rules and I can become righteous. Look at me. And Jesus is just trying to break that from the mind of these religious religious elites. And then Jesus tells them this parable. Right? He says, "No one puts a piece." Of unshrunken cloth on a garment for the patch tears away from the garment, and the worst tear is made, neither is new wine put into old white skin. If it is, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. Jesus is making a stark contrast between old and new He's telling us that old cannot mix with the new. You can't take an old garment that's already shrunk, right? You know, we all do laundry, right? If you've never done laundry, you didn't grow up, right? We all do laundry, right? And and, and so, you know, we we do laundry, we know that like like when you dry your clothes after you first get it, it shrinks a little bit. is saying that You can't if you have a hole in your pants and you have a old pants and you take a new brand new piece of cloth that's not shrunk and you you patch it with that. When you wash that clothes, that thing's gonna shrink and it's gonna tear a hole that's, you know, bigger than the hole that you originally had, right? In the same way, you can't take new wine, which hadn't gone through the fermentation process, right? And you have to know that fermentation process, right, produces gas, right? It produces gas, it produces hydrogen and carbon dioxide. And so if you put new wine into old, dried, like, worn out wineskin, which is made of leather, and that old wineskin which has already been stretched and dried out is filled with new wine. The gases from the fermentation process will make the wineskin expand and it will burst, spilling all of the lovely wine. Right? Now, what are you trying to get at here, Jesus? Are you teaching us how to sow and make wine? What Jesus is doing is making it clean that the old covenant mindset cannot mix with the new covenant mindset. The old cannot mix with the new. What was cannot mix with what God is doing. All the things that the Pharisees are holding on to, all of the preconceived understanding, their notions about God, who He is, is all based on this old, you know, old covenant mentality, and this does not work with new covenant mind. Right? This does not work with what God is trying to do in the new thing that He's doing. It's not that God changed, because in the, in the, we know from Scripture that God never changes. But he's doing a new thing. I preached on it last week, Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and wherever in the de- in the desert. And Jesus is saying, There's the old and there's the new, and he's pointing to change. He's saying you have to be made new. It's not like you can take old piece, like an old piece of wineskin. And try to make it work, you know. You try to make that old thing work. You just, you know, pour some wine and you know or you try to, you know, try to get that patch and you know it rips and you try to like cover it up. No, you, what you need is you need to be made new. You need to be transformed. He's offering them salvation here. Second Corinthians five seventeen, therefore if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is passed away, behold the new has come. God wanted to do something new in their lives. God was going to the the Pharisees. They 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 took notice of him for the first time, and Jesus is trying to say, "Hey, come on! This this is this is what I've come to teach you guys." All right? He wanted to break down their old mindset that they had given, the given this new understanding, this new covenant, you know, mindset which fulfills the old covenant. All the things that they thought that were doing to be right with God, Jesus. And the new come he fulfills it all, right? Through mercy, through grace. Because he desires mercy, right? And not sacrifices. He came to fulfill the law. Matthew 5 says, I did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Right? But all of this went right over their heads. It's like when I go to the tax office, right? I don't know if you've ever been to the tax office in Korea. But like, it just goes long enough. So, like, communicate people about taxes, right? They'll say something and I just, like, I just get, I get this look of, like, I don't know, I can just imagine how I look. Like, whenever I do anything, like, at the bank or I do anything official and they start talking really fast in Korean, I give them this look and I'm sure you guys have all done it. It's just, like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? You guys get those phone calls where she's, like, they're the con, and they're, like, oh, I'm from Battle Roy, and I'm just, like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? But this is kind of what the Pharisees, Jesus is trying to teach them about the new thing, the new covenant, this new mindset that He has for them, this new wineskin, this new wine, right? New garments that He wants, that He wants to give us, and it just goes right over their heads. They couldn't hear what He was saying, you know, in in parables, Jesus, you know, He tells us that like some of them, some of y'all will understand, but some of you will just will not understand, right? That's why Jesus taught in parables. Because to some, right, whose hearts are wide, they're going to understand, right? But to the some, where whose hearts are just like, you know, too hardened, and are just not going to understand. And Jesus is telling you all of this religion that you have created for yourself has to go. And you need to be new. You need to, you need to be new wineskin. You need to be transformed. You need to be made into a new creation. Now we know that the Pharisees didn't receive this lesson that Jesus gives them. You know, their hearts get even harder and they they make a decision later on to just, you know, kill Jesus. And they stick with the old. And what keeps them holding on to the old is what? It's pride and it's tradition or religion. And they can't let go of a of a system that keeps them at the top of the hierarchy. And in tradition, which is religion, right? We've always been this way. We've always done things this way, right? Like, we, it's always been this way. And the stubbornness that comes, right, it, it, it kind of hardened their hearts. You know, one of the things about the Pharisees is that they didn't just, like, observe the written word of law, right? You know, Moses gave them the law. I, you know, you guys know about you know the Pentateuch and the law that, that Moses gave them, and Moses wrote it down. Then Moses has Joshua write it down. Make sure that you memorize it. Make sure it's written in your heart. Don't like you know stray from it. That's the written law. That's the written word of God that we know is the first five books of the Bible, right? We we know that's the written law. But the Pharisees also adhere to like uh, the oral tradition, which which was like like teachings that that people kind of like you know. Passed on from generation to generation, and and a lot of this eventually became like man-made traditions. And we see as we read the gospel that pride and tradition can do to people. The Pharisees, right? They just got filled with hate, and they, they wanted to murder Jesus. And this is a warning for the church today. This is warnings. This is a warning for Christians today, right? Pride and tradition will always lead us down the wrong path. Tradition, I'm not talking about cultural tradition, like, you know, hanbok, wearing hanbok. You know, Meredith, you love wearing Hamburg. It's traditional. I don't want to talk about, talk about religious tradition. Basically, religion. Right? Pride and religion will always put us down the wrong path. So Mark 7, 7, the Pharisees asked Jesus, why did his disciples don't wash their hands according to the traditions of the elders, right? Nowhere in the Bible, right? It's just like, it's like, 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 they didn't say like you have to wash your hands. And Jesus tell them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. These Pharisees and these religious elites had created for themselves like all of this doctrine and all of these things that were not from God in a sense. They were actually traditions of man. Passed down from rabbi to rabbi. And we have to be careful as a church and as Christians, right? What part of our faith is from God and what is created by man? What is tradition? You know, I can imagine Jesus coming back one day and and then he said, why, why, are there so little of you guys? Like, well what, what happened to all of you guys? And then we were like, well, we rejected a bunch of these guys because they drank alcohol, you know? And we, we rejected all of these people because, you know, they, they were just like, you know, like, they were all sinful and then sleeping around and stuff like that, going to the club. We, we don't like that, right? And Jesus would be like, What? Well, like didn't you see what I did? Like what did I do? I I dined with sinners. I I I went he went out of his way going going to you know he he went out of his way right to to meet a a harlot a, a promiscuous woman a woman who had five husbands and the one that she was sleeping with wasn't her husband. He goes out of her way to have an encounter with her to go and ask her for some water so that she can he can minister to her. We have to be careful. are we holding on to Jesus? Or are we holding on to the traditions of man? are we holding on to religion? as a pastor, you know and I'm, I you know like you know, going through seminary and all of that stuff and I'm trying to try to like figure out like what all of this is like you know like what all of this is a is, is tradition of man well what, what is religion and what is the true gospel what is what is Jesus that I have to hold on to? And when you hold on to man-made things, you can't see the new thing that God is doing. God says that He will continue to renew us. He will continue to make us new. 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. God is continuing to renew us. He's continuing to make us. The, the Christian that I was 10 years ago is not the Christian that I am now. If I am, if I still was, I, I, I'd be pitiful, right? The church that we are 10 years ago can't be the church that we are now. We have, we have to go. God continues to renew. That's, that's His thing. He's a, he's, he does new things. God wants to do new things in our lives. But what's going to keep us stuck is the traditions of man and our pride. Now Jesus, in this parable, he's talking about garments and wineskin. What does this new garment and, and this new wineskin look like? I believe Jesus chose garments and he chose wineskin for a reason. Right? Now, Jesus, he's, he's he's very smart. He's, very, he's a great storyteller. He's, he's also an amazing you know, communicator. Jesus said that these parables were the secrets of the kingdom, right? I believe that he chose garments and wineskin for a specific reason. So what are these new garments and these new wineskins? Well, I believe that Jesus chose garments because when we accept the new covenant, when we accept him into our hearts, he clothes us with his righteousness, and his grace and his mercy isaiah sixty one three to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified isaiah 6110. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The new covenant, we, we don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. Like the, the Pharisees earned it, right? They they try to earn it. They, they, they make sure that they did everything to the, Tea of the law, right? When they when they bought cumin, right? You know, they they tied 10% of the cumin, right? Uh, we just bought oregano from America, right? We bring America uh, uh, oregano home, take 10%, give it to the church, right? They did everything to the, to the tea, to the law, right? They they work so hard, but what God says with the with the new cover, with the new thing that He's doing, right? It's not based on what. What we do is based on the grace of Jesus Christ. What what Jesus clothes us with? He clothes us with His righteousness. Right? He clothes us with His righteousness. Right? No, when like you're on a date, and, 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 you know, like the girl, you know, she wants to look nice, so she's wearing, you know, a dress, and you know, she doesn't want to wear a parka. I, you know, you had that, and then the guy, and it gets cold, and the guy. What does he have to do? He has got to take off his jacket and, and clothe her with his jacket, right? And then he gets cold, right? But then that's what Jesus does. He clothes us with his righteousness. Right? We don't have to. We don't have to like like he doesn't give us like 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 some fabric and a and a, and a, and a needle and some thread and say make yourself a jacket. No, he clothes us with his righteousness. We receive it. Right? It's, a, it's a gift of salvation it's grace all those pharisees they were always very concerned about their clothing right pharisees never went out wearing a tank top and flip-flops i do that all the time right but the pharisees would never go out wearing like anything they would never wear anything that was like like unbecoming of a religious elite right they're always out there they're always concerned about what they had on the outside you know they're always concerned how they looked on the outside, how they presented themselves on the outside, but nothing of their outside could come close to what God could clothe them with, right? His righteousness, if they would just receive Him. He's like, hey, it's right? like, I- I'm here to do something new in your life. I'm going to clothe you with My righteousness, and they're like, it's all right. I think I can make my, I think I can make my own righteousness. And then Jesus talks about wineskin. You know, wineskin, it's a vessel, it's a container. And the new wineskin is one that is eager to be filled. When you realize you need a Savior, you cry out. It's a a disposition of of, of hearing a heart that is crying out, I need you, God. Please fill me up. It's a place of brokenness. When Jesus, in Matthew 5, he talks about the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, but they will inherit the kingdom of God. Poor and spirit, right? The closest, like, definition of that is broken. Right. Blessed are the broken. Right. The people that need, like, hey, I'm broken. In me, I, I, there's sinfulness in me. I'm a broken person. I need to be saved. I need Jesus, right? And this, and it's a vessel that wants to be filled. It's pliable, right? It's stretchable. It stretches, it flexes, it grows will be changed by what's on the inside. Right? A wineskin transforms based on what is on the inside. You fill that with wine, it starts to be shaped like the wine that, that fills, fills the wineskin. And, and God says that when Jesus went to heaven, we were, we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came to live in us and dwell in us. He is the new wine. And He's in us. He wants to expand it's the heart's cry. We have to say, fill me up, Jesus. Fill me up, Holy Spirit. Change me. Make me new. There needs to be a hunger in us. If we want the new that God has for us, we have to have an eagerness. We have to have a hunger for Him, for His presence. Because if I'm changed on the inside, and if He's on the inside, if the Holy Spirit is in the inside doing what He's supposed to do, my my outside will follow. How I act, how I how I live, what I what I you know the, the way that I live, right, will, will, will automatically follow. This is the new wineskin. It's a, it's a it's a heart that cries out. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need your presence in my life. Now, when we read this story, we see like amazing examples of new wineskin. Right? The paralytic man and his friends. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, right? They're like, we need you. His friends are like, did this guy need you? This, this, he's been paralyzed since he was born. He needs you, Jesus. We need your touch. We need your, we need your presence. Matthew, right? He's called by Jesus, and in Luke it says that Levi made himself a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Matthew's called by Jesus, it changes his life, and he has this feast, and he invites all of his tax collector friends. And he's like, oh, Jesus, you, they need you. Right? That's, that's the heart of a of new wineskin, saying like, hey, not only do I need you, not only do I need to be changed, my friends need to be changed. My friends need to be transformed. the best example comes a few verses after this, in verse 18. It says, While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if, oh, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Brothers and sisters, all right, that, that's that's new wineskin. Do you see that? Do you see? Do you see the t- kind of heart that she has? She's like, if I just touch the the, the tip of this this, this, this Jesus's his, his robe, if I can just like I I, if, I know that if I just touch the tip of his clothes, I'm going to be made well. She had the faith. She's like, I need Jesus. I just need his presence. I just need to touch him, and I I know that I won't be made well. That's the kind of hunger that new wineskin expresses out in the world. brethren says Jesus has new garments for us. He has new wine. And it starts from a place of brokenness where we say, I need you, Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to be changed. I need His grace. If I can just touch the fringe of His garment, right? If I can just touch the fringe of Jesus, if I can just... But just just get a little bit of, of, of Jesus, I know that I will be made well. That's, that's the kind of wineskin that God wants for our hearts. The religious leaders, they thought that they could save themselves. Jesus came to show them that they can't, and we need Him. And He has new garments for us. He wants to clothe us with His righteousness. He wants to clothe us with His salvations. He wants to clothe, clothe us with grace and, 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 and praise and worship. And he wants to change our hearts. Make us new. He wants to fill us up with the new wine. He wants to fill us up with his Holy Spirit. But you guys, there's a thing. We need to have a hunger. There needs to be a hunger in us. Right? If you're not, if you don't have that hunger, right, we're not gonna, we're not gonna want. If, we, if we're distracted by things in this world, and if I'm, if I'm, if I'm like eating like, you know, like potato chips, I, mean, I love potato chips, but if I'm eating like you know, like cookies and, and all of these like junk food, right? And then, and then my wife makes me just like a beautiful dinner. Right? I'm not gonna want to eat that. So many times, that's what we do. We fill ourselves with the things of this world. We we distract ourselves with all of this Facebook and not Facebook so much Instagram. And <laughs> nobody's on Facebook anymore, right? Instagram, right? I don't know, like all the TikTok and all of the things that are out there and people, you know, like are trying to just fill them so they distract me, right? Distract me world, right? When, when we're like that, we're not gonna, we're not gonna have a hunger for God. But if we wanna be, if we wanna be new, if we want to tap into the new thing that God wants to do in our life, we have to have a hunger. Now we have a retreat coming up and some of us were going, and the goal is to encounter God. We want to encounter God. We want to, you know, have a, have a special encounter with Jesus. We're all gathered together, you know, like in, in the book of Acts, when Jesus ascends to heaven, all of the, the, the Christians and 120 of them met in the upper room and they were just praising, they were crying out to God like, oh, we need you, Jesus. We miss you, Jesus. They're praying. And that's kind of the, the goal of this retreat. We want to encounter God. But if we want to encounter God, we have to go with a hunger. We have to go with a desire to actually encounter Him. I want to encourage us today. Don't don't be satisfied with your hunger now. Don't be satisfied with how much hunger that you have now. But I want you guys to know that if you seek Jesus, He he will be found. He says, "If if you seek, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Right. And God wants to encounter us today. But in order to encounter him, we need to, in order to receive that garment of praise, you know, we need hearts of new winescreen. We need to have a heart that desires to be filled with Jesus Christ. We need a heart that desires to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Encounter him. Encounter him in power. Encounter him in his presence, Let's so all stand up and we're gonna close in prayer. I will pray for you guys. I i to pray for myself. That that we will have a hunger for for God's presence, that we will have a hunger to be filled with the new wine, to be filled with the Spirit of God. A hunger to be transformed, a hunger to not be the way that we were ten years ago, to be the way that we were even five, three, two years ago, but to a hunger so that we are new daily being renewed by the presence of God, renewed by the Holy Spirit, renewed by the power of God. And so Lord, I pray for every one of us here, God, we just, I pray for a hunger, a yearning, and a thirst to to to, to grow in us, Lord. May our hearts be like new wineskin. May our hearts be pliable. May our hearts be flexible. May we want to be filled. May we be a, a vessel that seeks to be filled with you, filled with your spirit, filled with your presence. Lord, may we not be satisfied with our with our relationship with You. May we not be satisfied with just just how we are right now, but may we continue to look forward. May we continue to yearn for the new that You are doing in our lives, the new that You want to be doing in our lives, the new transformation and the new creation that You want us to be sanctified into. Lord, may we have a hunger for Your presence, God. And Lord, we just pray for this upcoming retreat. I just pray that for those of us that that we will go, Lord, with that hunger, and as we go, Lord, may we be may we encounter you in power, God. May we encounter you in fire. May may you answer our heart's desire. May you answer our heart's call to 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 be filled with your presence, to be filled with your spirit. We thank you, God. We thank you that you're doing a new thing in our lives, in this church, in this community in the city, in the city of Busan, in the country of Korea, in this world. You're doing a new thing. You continue to do a new thing. May we have hearts to perceive it. May we have hearts to understand the new that you are doing. We thank you and we love you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that this in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against Him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God, may we have a heart, Lord, to encounter You and to be reconciled by You, and may we carry the ministry of reconciliation everywhere we go. We thank You and we love You. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.